0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you listen to the podcast. The podcast is available on several platforms, including Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. I am Sherry Dodder. I'm an occupational therapist and dysgraphia expert. I am here today with Tammy Musanowski-Borneman and Christine Arnold. We are going to talk about their business, about organizing and being a minimalist, Welcome to the, the Writing Glitch, Hacking dysgraphia. No Pencil Required. Hey, ladies,
1: how are you doing today? Really? Hey, Sherry. Thanks for having us today. Really? Actually, I feel really good this morning. I had an amazing sleep. The sky is blue. And this is the first thing that I'm doing today besides my workout. So I feel really good.
0: How about you?
2: I'm a little more tired over here, I have to say. It's evening time in the Netherlands and it's the week before winter break, so my class is losing it a little bit. I'm a little bit more on the tired end of things, but looking forward to winter break.
0: I am talking to somebody in the Netherlands and I am also talking to somebody in Hawaii. Is that correct, Tammy?
1: Yes, I am the early bird in this group today. <laughs> You're right in the middle of us, Jerry.
0: Wow. How amazing. Okay. My first question to you guys is Netherlands, Hawaii. How did you guys connect? Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. How did you connect? Tell me more.
1: Christine and I actually know each other from teaching together in Singapore. As you could hear from Christine's accent, she's Australian. I'm Canadian, but we're both international movers So it just happened that we were teaching at the same school. We arrived the same year and our classrooms were right next door to each other. Through that like close proximity, we got to know each other well professionally and then became personal friends, like simultaneously, I guess. And yeah, then we just started talking about all sorts of things. And before we knew it, we're like, hey, let's do some writing together. And now we're co-authors and still friends. That's important in the process.
0: I can relate to the still friends part when you're co-authoring something. I'm in the process of doing that now. So we are still remaining friends and things are going well for us as well. Does that mean that you are the sole owner of your business or are you guys co-partners in your business? Yeah, it's my company. And then, but Christine and I do
1: things together about the book, conferences, webinars, things like that under... We do that together as a 50-50 venture. It's not necessarily under my business umbrella. You know how business goes. You put mm-hmm. things where they fit naturally,
0: I guess. Yes, exactly.
2: And Christine, do you have your own business? Oh no. My main time spender is in the classroom. I teach grade three at an international school in Maastricht in the Netherlands. That's where most of my, my time and focus go. But really happy to be able to do this work that we're so passionate about with Tammy on the side. Wonderful. I'm going to slip back to Tammy because I want you to tell
0: us what is your business? I think I've read that it is called Professional Learning Services. That's part of it. Yeah. It's called Plan
1: Z Professional Learning Services. And the reason why I called that was because we often talk about Plan A and Plan B. And if that doesn't work, go to C, whatever. I opted for Plan Z mostly because like, sometimes we have to think ahead, right? Future think and skip A and B and just try something else. Try something that's a little more innovative, maybe outside the box thinking to be able to make some true change and transform what we're doing in classrooms. But to be able to do that, we have to change our mindset. That's the name. That's the name of my game. That's
0: the name of your game, Plan Z. I love it. Now that explains a little bit more of the Z that's on your website. Thank you. I got a little confused. I'm on track now. Now, you and I met at an Ignite Your Shine event several years ago. But when I was on your website, I see that you're now a speaker for Ignite Your Shine. Is that correct?
1: Yes. One of the things that I do is I do contract work for a couple of other businesses. And one of them is Ignite Your Shine. I know that we met through LaVonna Roth's consulting course, Prime to Shine. And that, I know that both of us learned a ton from that. We grew our networks and met some amazing people, but I have known Lavana since 2014. And I think that was just a year or two after she started the business, but she's been a consultant for a really long time. And she put a call out to have people join her team. And some of the things that we do are, we get together in certain points of the year to do like boot camp, so that we can work on some of the content work on our speaking skills as it stands right now another member of the team and i we've done a couple of conference proposals with ignite your shine which is all about focusing on like building confidence in people through people's strengths people's passions what inspires them what path they need to take to get there And we've focused our session in particular on math, because that's such an area of need for teachers and students. There's a lot of teachers who are not that confident teaching math for a lot of reasons, and that kind of trickles down into classrooms. So when the teacher's not confident in what they're teaching, that sometimes impacts how Um, math is not transmitted, relayed to them and how their emotional response to math can change. That impacts confidence in the math classroom too. That's what the focus has been for my presentations for Ignite Your Shine. And it's been, the response has been really positive. It's been really great.
0: Doesn't SHINE stand for something?
1: Yes. SHINE is an acronym. The S is for strengths, gifts, skills, and talents, because everyone has those. H is for heart or whatever someone's passion is. I is for inspire. When you put your strengths and your passions together, there's an inspiration point or a shine spot that we call it. And is for nav- navigation. And that's the action that you take when you figure out what your strengths and passions are. And then E is for exceptional. And all of those things together, N, your shin makes you shine. It makes you that exceptional person that you are. And everybody is exceptional in their own way. We just have to find out what that is.
0: I've always loved that acronym. Just, wow, how did she come up with that? Again, that was from LaVonna Roth and her program called Ignite Your Shine. And little tidbit here, Tammy, she is doing the foreword for John Lee and my book.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Congrats.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to learning more about The Minimalist Teacher and Plan Z professional learning services. But before we do, we need to introduce our sponsor. Today's podcast was brought to you by Dotter Educational Consulting. At Daughter Educational Consulting, we hack dysgraphia, no pencil required. Teachers are the first line of defense against writing challenges. How differently would your classroom look if you could implement interventions every day to prepare students before they fail in writing effectively? Would you like to discover effective instructional interventions that are systematic, cumulative, and multisensory and support all students? If so, join our upcoming five-day Roadmap to Hacking Dysgraphia Challenge waitlist. Look for more information at sherrydowder.com forward slash five-day challenge five hyphen day hyphen challenge. All right, Tammy, we need to pull Christine back into this conversation. Your mission statement in your business talks about forward thinking and enhancing pedagogy. Tell me more. A lot of times in education,
1: we get too caught up in thinking about what we need to do as the educators and we forget about students in front of us and what's best for them. Through a lot of conversation with a lot of my educator friends, but Christine and I in particular, we were often talking about just things that work best in our classrooms because we taught right beside each other. It was common for us to have conversations at the end of the day or the start of the, start of the day even. And we just found that there were certain things that we always needed to remember, and we often forget what's the point of what we're doing, <laughs> what's the purpose of what we're doing, right? And what's our priority here? And so that kind of opened up a lot of more conversations between us and some writing. We initially wrote about student agency, which is a big part of the international baccalaureate program, which is what we were teaching at the time together. And student agency is a huge part of that program, but those skills have to be taught, right? Sometimes we get lost in all the content and all of the initiatives that we're doing, and we forget that kids need to be taught skills for life, right? Not even just to prepare them for college, but like for their next grade or tomorrow even. And when we started talking about what's the purpose behind what we're doing and how can we do what we're doing better, we were coming up with this idea of a different book. Actually, it was a larger book about teaching and minimalism was just one piece that we had in the table of contents. When we sent it to the editor, this minimalist piece was the one thing that she's, what about this as the book? And we're like, Ooh, yeah,
2: let's do that. Did you want to add anything, Christine? No, I completely agree with you that it evolved through conversations and the work that we were doing and just really thinking again and again, like, why are we doing this? What is the purpose behind it? And I think that's really the work that we're doing now around minimalism in education, that idea of continually coming back to what's our purpose here. And especially when it comes to learner agency, we're thinking about what's our purpose here to create learners that are going to be really great participants in their life and their future careers and their future activities in the community. You said baccalaureate
0: student agency, and then you started talking about high school. Where does baccalaureate come in I, yes, I know you're international, but are you saying this is a college course or a high school course?
1: Oh, international baccalaureate is K to 12 system, I guess, kind of thing. It says all students from K through grade 12 participate in the same six units of study throughout their school career, but in different levels of complexity. There's There's these six units that that every year participates in and every
2: student. um, And some international schools use other types of curriculum and approaches to school as well. There's international schools that are actually American schools. It just depends on the kind of school that you land in and their approach.
1: Yeah. The IB or International Baccalaureate is really an approach. It's a way of, it's an inquiry-based learning system. It's heavy on teaching conceptual understandings through inquiry. Was the Montessori platform very similar? In some ways, yeah. There's a lot of that skill teaching, self reflection,
0: open endedness, yeah. All right. We're taking this idea of the Montessori school, the International Baccalaureate, student agency.
2: You talked about the minimalist teacher. How did it all interface together? We were working in an environment that was encouraging not only our students, but staff as well to be really reflective and thinking about what makes you a lifelong learner and what approaches and attributes of great learners and 21st century learners and things like that. Um, And then we were working together to write and present and work with other teachers as well. And we were coming across a lot of professionals around us who were feeling overwhelmed and burdened and stressed, we started thinking about what is this all about? What is education about? And why are we here? It really got us thinking about what we call in the book, the triple P process, where we really encourage everyone to reflect on their purpose within their work and then think about their priorities in order to meet that purpose. And then what can we pare down? What can we pare back to help us meet our priorities and our purpose rather than adding more and more to our plate? What can we take away that is not actually helping us meet our purpose?
0: Okay, it was totally different than what I had envisioned. When I was thinking minimalist, I was thinking that like somebody in their house where they're going through and then they only have like enough dishes in their cabinet for one for every person so that... When that meal is done, they wash the dishes and they put them back. That type of minimalist, I believe, is a different way of thinking about the term minimalist. Am I understanding that interpretation correctly?
1: That's exactly it. A lot of times in our presentations at the very beginning, we talk about some of those misconceptions or myths or misunderstandings about what minimalism is and can look like for us. At home and at school, when you're speaking about minimalism at home, right, you can be a minimalist and still have stuff. That's okay. It's about finding value in the things that you do have and not just having unnecessary clutter, clogging up your mental and physical spaces, which we know that's what education is. It's a lot of clutter. Yeah, it is a different way of thinking about how we approach education and sometimes we just need to step back a little bit and look at what's in front of us and realize we don't need all of this. Why are we doing this? Let's get rid of it or shape it so that it fits our context better.
0: Interesting. When I went and I was reading the freebie handout that you are going to be sharing here in a little bit, I was like, wow, she's relating coffee to making things easier. And I was like, this is exciting. We'll talk about that in a little bit, everyone. But before we do that, I wanted to ask what impact have you seen on the classroom with the, you're talking about changing culture. Like what impact has what you're teaching really done inside the classroom? Can you give me a specific example of how the education from the minimalist teacher and Plan Z services really has done a magic change with maybe one kid in the classroom. And when you're thinking about that, lean towards like a writing task because all the things that I am about is how does it impact writing? How does the minimalist teacher change that culture in the classroom and help a kiddo with writing?
1: One of the things that we've heard a lot about is just helping We have a tool that's an urgent, important matrix in the book, which is a version of an Eisenhower quadrant matrix. But there's been a lot of response to just sitting down and prioritizing using that tool, not specifically in terms of student writing or specifically to a student in particular, but that's just been a standout tool in general. If we're talking about culture change in writing, for students in the classroom, I think it's important for us to think about reducing the stressors that surround our learners of any age and ourselves, right? Like all three of us, we're all writers and it's helpful for us being writers, knowing what also can potentially work for the writers in our classroom. Removing excess visual stimuli can change things for a student and just really reduce some stress.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Going through the process of writing and reflecting back on my own work, I really spent some time thinking about what is my purpose? Why am I an educator? And it really all came back to relationships with my students as well as my colleagues as well. And that has been really helpful when you're having a really rough day or you're feeling really stressed or overwhelmed with the things you have to do to go back and go, wait, hang on. How can I bring the relationship to the forefront of what I'm doing? And I think that can be hugely beneficial to kids with their writing uh, especially the kids that struggle with their writing. If they've got a trusting safe relationship with people in the room that are there to facilitate their writing I think it can hugely benefit them and I know personally for myself Knowing that Tammy and I had a very trusting friendship when we were writing and going through that process, I we were very relaxed and flexible with each other. I know that paragraph doesn't make sense. Help me. I think we can pass that along to our students as well. And if you start from that basis of, of a strong relationship, a trusting relationship, you, I believe that you're going to get further with your students in supporting their writing. Well, I guess one of the things that I keep thinking
0: about when we're talking about Creating a culture in the classroom with less. One of the things that I think about is walking into kindergarten or first grade classroom that has the wool walls, yeah, has the walls covered from inch to inch everywhere with some kind of visual. Do you ever talk to the teachers about taking down some of the stuff on the walls? It's funny you mentioned
1: that because that was a point of conversation that I had with a principal at a session at a conference a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about the use of wall space and how often teachers get caught up in making it look cute, or you want it to be useful for your learners. You want to have resources up, but it's way too much. Like we need to think about the purpose behind the things that we're putting up. And when we put them up, like you don't have to have your entire word wall up at the same time. You can swap it out or have it available in a different way. You don't need to cover every inch of your wall because it's a lot to process every time you move around a classroom. It's a little bit hard for teachers to hear that though, because sometimes those walls are a place of pride. There's a lot of time spent thinking about them and putting energy into putting them up. But we do, that's one of those things that teachers do need to rethink, definitely.
0: I'm in agreement with you. We have to really think about what we put up. One of the strategies that I teach from an environmental perspective is have the kids tell you where they want that particular thing put. And maybe they need it, the word wall on a totally different wall because it's much More convenient for them to have it on that wall next to the door than it was in the far corner of the other side of the room. And yeah, swapping things out throughout the year and uh, making it so that the walls aren't so full. I am in agreement with you on that. And you're right, it is hard for teachers to hear. I even see some therapists that overdo some of their walls as well. The other thing I think about when I think about writing is worksheets and how much material is on the worksheet that is so confusing for students. Do you ever do any worksheet adaptions?
2: Yeah, I think again you've got to you've got to really carefully consider your purpose behind the worksheet and what's going on and also the audience of the sheet. If you've got English language learners or kids who are struggling with reading or processing information, you know, you've really got to tailor that specifically for the people in front of you. And sometimes we just rely on, oh, I'll read it to them or I'll re-explain it to them, but that might not necessarily be the best way to get that kid to access what you want them to be doing. But yeah, I think that's definitely something that that is worth considering your purpose for. I'm glad that we're in agreement on that.
0: Thank you. I talked or mentioned a little bit about the uh, freebie that you have with coffee and making things a little bit more streamlined. Can you share a little bit more about that now?
1: Sure. That to do list. I don't know. It's a. Uh, it's a to do list to a tool. It's to help us sort out the thing, all the things that we have to. Do. And I just match the type of coffee to each type of thing. Some of the things that, as teachers, or even in our life, there's just we have a long list all the time of things to do but we can definitely sort them out into categories. You might have something that's like easy. Here's my diner coffee style thing that I can do on the to-do list or is it high caffeinated espresso? But it's important to think about segmenting the types of things that you're doing and how long they might take. If you can segment things by, even if it's, these are all, these five things, these will take me less than 20 minutes. I'm just going to chunk them and do them right now and plop them into your calendar. And then those more intense thinking tasks that sometimes we avoid because we know that they're cognitively taxing, they take a little more time. Separate those out from everything else because when you combine those kind of different tasks that require different thinking, it can be hard to, to manage and just think purposefully about how you need to tackle them. But it's a, It's a quick and easy tool to just help sort things out.
0: It reminded me, as soon as you started talking it through, of a book called The Energy Clock. It is by Molly Fletcher. The Energy Clock by Molly Fletcher. Basically, what she has done is she's taken the Google Calendar and she has three sub-calendars within her Google Calendar. One's red, one's yellow, one's green. The red is all that cognitive stuff that you really need to concentrate on. The yellow is the stuff that eh, you got to do it, but you really don't like to do it. And the green is all that easy stuff that we tend to push everything aside for and do all the green stuff. Reminds me of that energy clock with the whole the whole to-do list piece that you were just describing.
1: I would push back on having the hard things red. I would make them like purple or something like softer so it doesn't feel so harsh. <laughs>
0: Eh, she uses red, yellow, and green, but that's okay. I like the idea of the purple and green myself. <laughs> Everything in my life is purple and green, if you haven't figured that out by now. Christine, anything else that you wanted to add as, about what we've just been talking about with the to-do
2: list? No, I think it's it's been something that we've did more and more as we've gone along with our work is that element of time and just how we can be minimalist in our, pro- our approach with time because it's something that we're all very short of in today's busy world and knowing you know, what to give your time to, and hopefully if we can match what we value with what we're spending time on, hopefully that is going to bring a little bit more balance and joy to our lives. It's definitely something that we're continuing to talk about, reflect on, iterate on our ideas and things like that. I don't think we have any quick fixes for anyone, but striving, we're always striving to to find strategies to help.
0: Love it. Love it.
2: We're at the time
0: in the podcast where we like to hear about an intervention. And as I was reading your to-do list and looking through some of your material, the idea of white space was one of those things that was resonating with me. I was also talking about that last night in our five-day challenge is increasing the space between the lines so that when kids are reading and writing, that they can see the difference between one line to the next. And I believe that white spaces, you're referring to with us whole idea of minimalism. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good analogy to draw to it because it, it is about taking away some things that don't need to be in your spaces. And that might be physically and it might be mentally. So when we allow ourselves to sit back and think through things And prioritize that can create some of that white space for us so that we can think more clearly and be more focused in what we're doing.
0: And the other idea I think of with white space is, and it reflects back to the idea of the worksheet, and that is taking away some of the things that don't fit the purpose. Some of that extraneous material, the little decorative pieces may not be necessary to achieve the purpose and enlarging sections of the worksheet. Maybe it needs to be two worksheets instead of one for that one particular student who might be struggling.
1: I think too that we can think about, do you need a worksheet then? (laughs) Can you just write it in the book? Is it something that's simple enough that you can save the paper and the time at the copier and just
2: have a quick, easy template that's easy for any learner to draw in their box.
0: Great idea. I also
2: add on, you have got so many amazing online platforms now with the with all of the lockdowns and pandemic teaching, tools like Seesaw and Toddle and Google Classroom have just exploded. And the ability for us to record audio for instructions has been a real game changer. I think as much as we can utilize those sorts of tools to help with kids that need that additional uh, instruction, I think the better really.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We're at the end of the podcast. This has been Sherry Datter, dysgraphia expert and the host of The Writing Glitch. I've been talking today with Tammy Musanowski-Borderman. She is the owner of Plan Z Professional Learning Services and the co-author of The Minimalist Teacher. Her co-author has been with us also, and that is Christine Arnold. And She is a teacher who is traveling and is currently working in the Netherlands, and Tammy is working in Hawaii. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania, and it is freezing outside today, and we're supposed to be getting snow tomorrow. I'm kind of like a little bit jealous on that heat wave that you might be having over there, but it might be also might be a little bit colder over in the Netherlands for you, Christine. Maybe I shouldn't be so jealous.
2: Yeah, it's pretty chilly over here, but I don't know Fahrenheit. I can't do the conversion. But we've been having a minus five, minus six every night. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but our moat at school has frozen over. So it's definitely chilly over here.
0: I love That's that it's below have- freezing. <laughs> Thank you, ladies, for being here. Our podcast releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month during the school year. Look for more information about Tammy inside the Writing Glitch community. Look for more information about Christine as well inside the community. And that is at app.therightingglitch.com. app.therightingglitch.com. Don't forget to get your dysgraphia specialist certification. You need to join the Amethyst plan to do that. And remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Transform that classroom, no pencil required. Unleash that potential and turn struggling writers into leaders. Podcast post-production is managed by Sam C Productions. Tammy, before we close for the day, can you tell people where to find you? Sure. I'm on Instagram
1: and Twitter at Planzpls. And my
2: email is Tammy at plan Z PL services.com. Christine, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at C arnold 5 And you can also look for our book website, The Minimalist Teacher Book. Check out what we have on offer there. And their websites will be in the show notes. Thanks a bunch for being here today, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you.